Welcome to the Marketing Mastermind, a podcast designed to elevate your entrepreneurial mindset and help you take your business to the next level through digital marketing. Join your host, agency owner, Hillary Russell, as she interviews experts from around the world, dives into business success secrets, and gives tactical mindset training to help you elevate all areas of your life and business. Ready? Let's dive in to another Marketing Mastermind episode. All right, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Mastermind. I'm your host, Hilary Russell, and today I have a very special guest to share with you guys. Uh, before I introduce him, though, like I always do, I want to give you a little bit of a teaser here. So um, when it comes to entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial journey, one of the things that I would say, uh, you know, is is probably one of the most intriguing aspects of entrepreneurialism and our journey um, but is not talked about that often is the amount of money that you're able to make, right? <laughs> the amount of money that you're able to make. And also um, just, I guess, society's idea of what you're, what you should be doing with that money and how you can absolutely shatter that as an <laughs> entrepreneur, right? So with that being said, I would love to welcome in Christian Allen, our special guest today. Hillary, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been excited all week for this interview, so I appreciate you having me on. Me too. Me too. This is going to be a fun conversation. Um, and Christian, tell our listeners, um, I mean, I've got, you know, I, you are the owner of Money Insights Group. You've got a very impressive background, but tell our listeners just a little bit. Give us the story of Christian Allen. Okay, so, well, I come from a big family. I've always been kind of um, an ambitious fellow, I would say. And so that means that I go after a lot of things and sometimes I like totally botch it. So the good news is I have a lot of experience on both sides of that fence. But when I was about 21 years old, uh, that's when I got into the financial services industry. Now, I didn't start Money Insights at that time. That was just kind of my initial exposure. Um, I, I kind of fell into it, to be totally honest with you. Um, like probably is, is common for a lot of people, but I fell into it in the sense that I had an experience that kind of led me toward a passion project. So my mom, um, was in a, was in a unique situation. Really our family was my dad passed away at, uh, when I was 19, he was 49 and, uh, that kind of left the family in a difficult spot for now to be fair, like we were in a, we were in a solid spot from a financial perspective. But from a, knowing how to manage the financial perspective, that was really where our, the problems came in, right? Mm -hmm. So what I saw was a, was a really terrible situation where my mom was taken advantage of by people that she should have been able to trust, um, friends of the family doing things that were more focused on making the money than they were on making sure that she was taken care of. So for that reason, I kind of started to jump in and like learn about it. And I became really passionate about the industry. And that's really like what my first exposure was to it. So I started the industry and then I kind of went down a couple of different paths. I focused on management, uh, well, two paths. First, it was on money management, right? I wanted to be your kind of typical stock bonds, mutual fund expert. Um, and we can talk more about that, but I've since I've long migrated away from that concept. Um, and then the other path was like the managerial path where I was building teams and, and teaching people how to be successful in the industry. So I kind of brought those two pieces together with Money Insights that uh, uh, Rod and I started, I guess it's been eight years now. 
Wow. So that's kind of the, the quick version of how we got here. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. Well, and I, I'm curious too, with, you know, the early, I guess the early um, evolution, if you will, of, of that thought process, because I mean, as a, as a young 20 year old, that's not a very common mindset to be in. How did you find yourself? I mean, you know, obviously you had a pretty drastic situation that happened that might kind of push you that way. Do you feel like that's really the reason, or did you have interest in finances and management before that? Well, I would say I'm wired a little bit different in the sense that I struggled. I'm a college dropout. I struggled to, I have some designations for from financial schools and things like that. But like in terms of traditional schooling, I struggled because I'm just wired to move and go, right? Mm. So like I always had the idea that I wanted to grow and build something. Um, I just struggled to kind of sit there on that natural path. And so the combination of like seeing a real need that, that became really apparent and just being wired a little bit differently, I think that combination created a really nice pathway for me to go and, you know, find a ton of success in this industry that just is a hard industry and most people really struggle in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So I, I'm curious with, um, you know, you say you started out in more of the traditional sense of, uh, stocks, bonds, managing, uh, from that aspect, and then how to transition over. And we kind of left that vague. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I'll talk about my alternative. Yeah. Yes, talk about my, tra- my, my transition to alternatives and maybe, especially since we're in a business podcast, I'll talk about what, where we came up with our niche as well, or how we came up with our niche market. Okay. So sorry. What was the first one again? What were you starting with? So how you started from, or or move to alternative traditional into alternative investment. Okay. So that was really simple. I just saw that it wasn't working. So I'm in the industry. I'm actively helping manage people, money, people's money. I'm seeing that I'm like not really having a lot of impact. I'm doing basically the same thing that everybody else is. Uh, and it felt really superficial at some level. Right. So, um, simultaneously I started meeting with people who were more in the business space. And what I was finding is that it was really common. I was almost fighting people to try to get them to come into the stock bonds, mutual funds world. And they're like, uh, you know, Christian, this whole like alternative asset, real estate stuff is really like how we got here. So I don't know if we're going to do that. Um, and it was just kind of this like very clear understanding that came through meeting with people who were successful. And I can just tell you at probably 90 plus percent, the wealthy clients that I was meeting with before we even started and created a firm that was specific to high income earners, like before that was happening, all of the really successful or the majority of the really successful people we were meeting with had a totally different mindset. And eventually, like if you get hit in the head enough, you're like, oh, there there might be something to this. And that's really what drove us to the alternative space. Okay. That's yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you hear it <laughs> enough. You start to listen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so see I, it enough. That's like, yeah. that was maybe the biggest thing. Like I'm actually seeing on people's balance sheets that like, you know, the people who generally have a higher net worth, it's, it's, there just is there mo- more of those people tend to move into the alternative space. And it's just, the proof is out there. I don't know how, how much more clear it could have been for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can appreciate that. So let's maybe clarify a little bit then for our listeners who maybe don't know the difference between traditional and alternative investments. What would you say are, give us kind of a 
like, you know, Claire idea, what falls into the traditional space? What falls into yes. alternative? Okay. So the alternative world is really anything that's not stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, right? So, or paper assets. Now I, there's some of those things that probably fit into both worlds like commodities, but when you're thinking about alternative assets, it's things like real estate, business, precious metals, those types of generally hard assets, even life insurance, which is not a hard asset, is definitely considered an alternative asset, especially the way we use it. But but like those are the kind of things that we're generally pushing to pushing people toward. And uh, I would say real estate is by far the most common thing we're seeing. And part of it's just because there's so many different variations of real estate, right? So mm -hmm. So, I'm, but, but you could, I could probably list off 20 different alternative assets and half of them, people would know what they are and half, half of them, they might be a little confusing, but anyway, right. anything that's not your common, like 401k stock bond, mutual fund stuff, that's where we get the purple hair and the nose ring and we become <laughs> <Got it>. alternative. <laughs> alternative. I like that. I've never seen you with purple hair and a nose ring, but I'll watch for Well, that's it. what the alternatives are. So I had a guest on the podcast and they used that line. And so I stole that's it. I thought so it was funny. great. Like, cause it's, it's kind of funny, Hillary alternatives are what were like around, have been around for the longest are really like the core of how people started to invest. But mm -hmm. now like, because of kind of the wall street hype machine that's created, it was able to make those things really easy to use, meaning stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and really common so that when people think about investing, they don't think about the alternatives anymore. They just think mm -hmm. about throwing money into their 401k. We're here to change that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's powerful. I, so I'm curious because, and I'm going to throw out a buzzword here that hopefully doesn't make you cringe too hard. And we'll talk about this in a moment, <laughs> but it, you know, what's coming and that's in infinite banking, mm, infinite right? Banking. Yeah. And I remember, I remember it was probably eight years ago or so was the first time that I heard of this concept mm -hmm. and it blew my mind. I, I remember sitting there. I was like, what, how, <laughs> what is this? So can you, and I think that this is an important topic because this is something that in my opinion, I'm a bit, bias but in my opinion this is something that i feel each entrepreneur doing something that's a bit out of the usual for society you know starting your own business that you should be yep. looking at options like this as well so can you give us kind of the um you know high level overview of what is this concept yeah okay so infinite banking is basically a set of rules that people use to help grow their wealth and it's differentiated from traditional in a bunch of ways, really. But the, the primary idea is that you're going to become the bank, right? So you'll hear it use infinite banking, becoming your own bank, um, cash flow banking. There's a, there's a, a bunch of different kind of phrases that people use for it. But really all they're talking about is a specific set of rules that helps people grow wealth in a little bit of an unusual way. And normally, and this is where it becomes like um, more controversial, is people recommend using life insurance as kind of the primary tool that escalates these things. So basically what happens is a person, instead of taking their money and directly um, using it, whether it's to buy a car, to invest, whatever, the infinite banking crowd would suggest you bring that money in, you put it into the policy, you roll it through there. And instead um, of, instead of using that money directly, you get the benefit of putting in the policy and then what's kind of unique is in life insurance, like you can do, you can use the money in two ways at the same time, because 
This is really crazy. I don't mean to get into so much detail, but I'm going to get a little bit more. So when we're talking about infinite banking, when I put money into a life insurance policy, I get to borrow against it, but I'm not, I'm not taking my own money. So it's, always, it's a fallacy to say I'm borrowing my own money. Really what I'm doing is I'm borrowing from the insurance company using my money as collateral for that. So what that allows people to do is be more efficient, more efficient with their money. What we've done is we've kind of created an, a more niche version of that that's really specific and focused around adding profitability to investing. So it's really like there's a lot of similarities with, with the difference being that we don't believe in infinite banking in its totality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's the way to say it. We believe in some of the principles of infinite banking that can be really powerful. What we don't like doing is telling people to run their, you know, run their cash flow through the through the policy for when they're paying their mortgage and when they're, you know, buying their kids a bike and like those kind of things that usually like defeats the purpose. So our focus is really on how do we make the investing that we're doing produce more money, produce a higher return. And so the cool thing about infinite banking is that at some level it can do that. We just call it the investment optimizer because we're focused on really on that specific niche within infinite banking. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. I, um, yeah. And I, I, I want to maybe go into that a little bit deeper and you mentioned one of the main methods that you guys have created. So within your organization, you and the Mar uh, Rod Zabriskie, uh -huh. um, who is the other managing partner, um, have created these methods, one being called the investment optimizer, the other, the capital avalanche. So maybe give us a little bit of, well, two parts on this that I'm really curious about. One, what are the main differences that set apart these strategies from, you know, the, the typical, um, uh, you know, infinite banking that we all mm -hmm. think of, right? What are the main things that set those apart and what are the main advantages? Okay. So I'll start with the investment optimizer and kind of re-emphasize like there's just so many uses for infinite banking. Mm -hmm. And again, like many of those are ineffective. The math behind it doesn't actually play out. So part of the difficulty for me is like when you get people saying like infinite banking doesn't work or, you know, it's a scam, something like that, like they're not totally they're not being totally inaccurate in that. It's just that not all of it works, right? Some yeah. of it's some of it seems like rhetoric and hype. Um, so we want to kind of eliminate the rhetoric and hype and focus on the principles that actually create cash. So as an example, when we show, we'll show an example with clients or prospects as they come in to talk to us that shows them what happens when they invest through the investment optimizer versus just using like a traditional bank account. So so using the the investment optimizer and the policy or using nothing right mm -hmm. which is what most people are doing they're just running it through their bank and they get next to no interest so what we'll do then is show okay over a 20-year time frame like you'll be up more than 15 percent from a net worth standpoint so we have one example that shows people putting in a hundred thousand for five years and then just letting that run and investing in various syndications which are just group crowdfunding deals right so they invest in the syndications and it just shows the shows out the numbers Basically, the concept here is that in that example, over 20 years, we have like, I think it's like $2.1 million more than we would have had otherwise. I'm going, I'm trying yeah. to remember if you go to the web, go to our website, moneyinsightsgroup.com, you can find any of these videos really easily. Um, but the main difference, again, is the hyper fixation or hyper focus on what we believe it's good at. So everything that we do is based upon creating as maximus, maximizing cash. Mm -hmm. and minimizing cost 
and increasing return. And again, it's not by increasing risk. Like that's really important. So one of the 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 critical advantages to the concept is that you can increase return literally without increasing your risk at all, which is, there's not many ways to do that, right? But this is when you actually can accomplish that. So, okay, so that's the, that's kind of the investment optimizer infinite banking piece. Now, one of our other kind of core concepts is this concept we call the capital avalanche. Well, it's basically what would be considered a, a niche version of premium finance. Now, sorry, I should clarify, premium finance life insurance. So what does that mean? It just means that instead of me putting money into life insurance, I'm letting a bank do it for me. This is really common in the high income, high net worth space because oftentimes there's a large need for insurance or maybe a large need for a pool of investments and uh, they don't wanna necessarily put the money in, right? Mm -hmm. So inside the capital avalanche structure, we basically show people how to create massively larger income streams and we can do it in just one lump sum. So I'll give you an example of how it works. I put $100,000 in the first year. Um, that would come directly out of my pocket. But then the rest of the time, every premium would come out from the bank. So now I can just keep flushing money into that policy. And I usually will wait 10 to 15 years. And then at that time, I'm using the income. Now, the reason that the income is so powerful is because we're just using a simple concept called financial arbitrage. Or maybe I should clarify and say interest rate arbitrage, which hmm. is simply creating a higher return in the policy than we're paying in our interest. Well, we have the advantage of having done that for, you know, in every single 15-year um, period that we studied, we we're able to get at least a 2% spread on that. So did a lot of back testing, uh, making sure that the concepts work. But the point here is just really simple. It's that over time, by creating a spread between what I'm earning and what I'm paying, I then can create huge amounts of income, especially when we have capital just being poured into it, right? What's even better is it's not our capital. Does that yeah. make sense? So we're literally, we're earning the spread on the bank's money. And that's what makes it so like incredible. So anyway, that's that's a high level overview. And I probably should have had some numbers to, to add to that <laughs> one, but hopefully that at least gives no, everyone a perfect. basic idea. Yeah, and the examples I feel illustrate that pretty well. Um, I mean, at the very least, right? That's insane. That's phenomenal because it, it really is incredible. Like mm -hmm. fifteen percent type returns on an ongoing, consistent basis. And again, all it's doing is creating a really simple spread. And and it doesn't even have to be a high spread. Think of it this way: if I could get, well. Let's look at the last decade. Interest rates have been super low right? right now. Things are changing. Obviously, interest rates are interest rates have been spiking. Um, but over the last decade, interest rates are super low. The market's been really high. Well, mm -hmm. that combination just made like the this concept just outrageous, right? So we plan on over a long period of time getting something like a two percent spread, and that really plays the concept out. It like works, mm -hmm. um, works great. But at like those five percent numbers, it just becomes like absolutely ridiculous. Well. My point here is just to say that it doesn't take more risk and it doesn't take a ton of money and yet it can create this, this predictable double digit return that's happening over a really long period of time. And it's all by creating just a really small spread between interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think from what you're saying with this too, I think that's probably one of um, 
I mean, you know, I'm not in this space at all, but I do speak with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of successful individuals. And, um, this topic comes off, you know, comes up occasionally. And I feel that one of, at least within my network, at least, you know, one of the holdbacks for doing something like this is like, it's scary because it's unknown, Yes. but w- with what you're explaining though, the risk, the risk on this is almost less than the risk of like traditional methods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? no, absolutely. So the risk that people would get uh, nervous about was the leverage, right? We're right, using exactly. leverage, but what's what's unique about our structure, and this is if if anyone's listening and they've heard of premium financing and maybe they've even like looked into it a little bit, mm-hmm. the big concern or maybe the the scare is that oftentimes I have to carry collateral outside of my policy. So I might just have to say, so I'll give you an example. We have clients that we've done traditional stuff with in the past. And the first, let's say the the premium was a million dollars a year. Um, when we play that out, they, they have to have, again, in that kind of the more common concept that we see, they'll have to have this outside collateral bucket of money that could be a million to $2 million. Like it could be pretty significant, right? Right. So what we're doing here is we're, we're really kind of flipping that on on its head and making, making it so that there's no outside leverage created at all. Everything is self-contained within the policy. So um, we can pull different levers to adjust things really easily as time goes on. We don't have to just sit and wait, right? Like it's, it's a really, by far and away, it's the most, uh, let me try that again. Far and away, it's the safest form of premium financing that's available. And it's just an incredible way to create income and cash flow. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay, I think the most natural next question, especially for those, let's say hypothetically, this is the first time hearing of these concepts and they're just trying to, you know, pick their job off the floor at this point, right? Um, what does it take? What does it take? So I, I guess tell give us an idea of, what is, uh, you know, how much money do you need to be oh, yeah. to put into this? What type of, you know, financial level do you need to be at? How, how, do you, how does one qualify for something like this? Okay, so I'm going to answer this in long form because I meant to, I meant to hit on why we work with high-income earners earlier, yeah. and I didn't. Um, but let me hit on that really quick, and then I'll answer what it takes to get into it. So Perfect. Couple of reasons. So we work with high-income earners, and I wish there was like some altruistic reason. But the truth is, is that they have more money, and they're usually more decisive, right? Like, so from just a pure business uh, sense standpoint, it just and, and of course we can attract those people. So for those three reasons, we tend to work there. Now, I don't want that to come across as us being like elitist. The reality is, is it's just more profitable for the business. That said, our stuff really our concepts, our education, our content is really incredibly valuable for everybody, right? It's, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you're at on that, uh, you know, on that belt, like it's gonna, it's gonna help you get further along regardless. Okay. So now that said, um, now I forgot the question, Hillary, how did we oh, get you're good. to how does one qualify for qualify? Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. one of the, okay, there's a couple of things we're really excited about. One of them is that with this form of premium finance, you don't have to be an ultra high net worth person. And that's one of the things that has been a challenge for people in the past. Even if you wanted to get involved with it, many of the insurance companies will say you have to have a $10 million net worth. Um, In this concept, because we've been able to self-contain within the policy, there's no outside collateral, there's less risk. 
there's not really a definitive threshold as far as income. I would say that you're not likely to want to do it unless you can put in at least 25 grand. Like that would be like probably the minimum situation that we would mess with. And not because we really, here's the reason. Um, Mostly because we want to make sure that anybody who's using the concept can maximize it. So what we would suggest there is the, the initial threshold could be lower, but we'd want to make sure that the person was capable of making adjustments if we needed to. As an example, let's say that interest rates spiked and the market just did horrible in the first three or four years. That's mm-hmm. certainly a possibility, right? Now, we expect over the, we know over the long run, the, the odds are very much in our favor, but in a short run, a short situation like that, it could get a little bit about a little bit out of whack. So, <laughs> so the reason twenty five thousand is the minimum is because it's hard to create the leverage that you want without having more than that. And we want to make sure that the person is comfortable putting in money because there is a possibility that in year two or year three we might say, "Hey, because interest rates have been really high and the market hasn't performed yet, let's." put a little bit of extra money into it to make sure that it keeps running and doing what we want it to. So that's probably the long answer is that 25,000 is the short answer. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Um, And I mean, the other part of this too, is you can't just go down the street to your local insurance broker and set something up like this. So speak a little (laughs) bit to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So really all of the strategies that we use are relatively sophisticated. So and what I mean by that is just that, like you said, most people don't know how to do them. And if they and if they try to do them, there's a at least a high probability that they'll do them incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not suggesting we're the only ones that know how to do any of the things we're, we're discussing today, but there's probably not many people that know how to do it better. And so mm-hmm. we have like a really good a track record of making sure we deliver it like all the time without question. Um, but really don't go to just like, don't call your friend or your neighbor. It's not a good idea. If you're going to do work with someone that's not Money Insights, make sure you do the due diligence and understand what they're all about, see their track record, um, check out their reviews, all that kind of stuff, which I would also say to do for us. That is a good idea because I noticed you guys have only five-star reviews. <laughs> we do. We have, a, we, we do. Is that, is that true? I had no idea. <laughs> A little humble brag there. Yeah, but you got to no, like squeeze is... those in every once in a while. Right. But okay, so let's switch gears a little bit then and, and okay. talk about that side of it, because um, that's another part that I really wanted to talk to you about. It is, I mean, yes, humble brag all you would like, because it is a phenomenal feat to have a business that you've created that you've had for, you know, you started eight years ago now, and you guys have hundreds of five-star reviews of happy clients take me back to, you know, the first couple years of Money Insights when you were just starting out. What did you put in place at that point to create such a solid business? So one of the things that we had that we did really early is we adopted technology. Now, Hillary is our marketing person. So she knows (laughs) that I'm like terrible at technology. So this might sound a little bit weird. However, not everybody on my team's like most of them are pretty decent that way. I'm just the one who has like no technology sense. However, I am smart enough to know that we need to use it as much as we can. So the first thing that we did was we went online immediately eight years ago. I actually left my previous working situation to start Money Insights because they wouldn't let at the time they wouldn't let us do it online. 
And I felt hmm. like that was the future of the industry. It would give us a huge advantage, let us reach everywhere, and um, it made a massive difference. So we went online, and, it, and then the next thing we did is we really focused on our niche market. Um, well, actually, let me back up. The next thing we did is we created some really um, effective strategic partnerships. So a lot of our clientele comes from podcast relationships, right? We have um, podcaster partners who believe believe in what we do, and we have a strategic partnership where they'll send us stuff and we'll do the business with it. Well, um, some of those partners are have been really impactful and really effective, and so it's become like a machine belt of us basically seeing high income earning, mostly physicians, but I would say like 75% are high income earning physicians. The other 25% are, are a mixture of other types of business owners and high income earners. But, but the reality is, is we uh, made sure that we had a funnel for, for bringing people to the, to the table and we defined our target market. Hmm. Those were the three things that really helped us. We, we saw really quickly through some of our podcast relationships that we were that we were working with the same type of person over and over and over, and they were generally high income physicians. And so it just made a really, again, I kind of fell back into it, realizing that, okay, these are the people we're already seeing. It's incredibly effective. It's profitable for the business. Let's just keep rolling with it. Um, and then we also had to develop uh, stronger knowledge in that space mm. right so it's not enough to just say hey i'm now i'm a, i'm now an expert in the space you actually have to do something about it right. so we've spent hundreds thousands of hours really focusing on the strategies that are most effective for high income earners like period we just we just have made that our almost um yearning goal we just that's what we do right yeah, that's that's phenomenal that you guys were able to find that so quickly as well, because I feel that for a lot of individuals and business owners, you get so close to the day to day that it's almost like you have rose colored glasses on and it's difficult to see things from that outside perspective, right? It absolutely is. I have had the advantage of working with my partner, Rod, who is just like the opposite of me in almost every way. Um, and so he is super effective at getting into the, getting things done and, and making sure the business runs on a day-to-day -day basis. And what's been really cool about it is it's allowed me to step out of the business for the last few years to really grow it. So mm -hmm. I actually don't meet with clients anymore. Our team do, does all of the, the direct interacting with clients, but I can just tell you like that has made a huge impact. I think we've probably doubled twice in the last three or four years um, and I think, I really believe that a lot of that is because we've been able to kind of get people in the right seats on the bus. Hmm. What, what did that process look like? Because I mean, you said eight years of, you know, of scaling and running this business, uh, give me an idea of what were some of the hard times or hard situations? Well, so early on, we didn't have direct access to the people that we wanted to work with. Right. right. So sometimes it meant taking any appointment you could take at any time of day, regardless. So it was not uncommon for me to run 10 or 12 meetings in a day. Like I would just roll through them and, you know, maybe two of them would be the conversations that we were really looking to have. So mm -hmm. there was, there was early on, like we had to, well, we had to look in a lot of different places to find the right partnerships. And even since, to be honest with you, like since we've created some of those, it's not easy for us to find the 
the right person over and over again. I was hoping it would be. Uh, it turns out that it's really hard to find the, the perfect strategic partnership, weird. Um, but doing that, I can tell you that like just made such a huge impact on our business. It was incredible. Really? That's yeah, that's cool. What, what advice would you give for business owners who are maybe at that earlier stage, you know, first, second, third year of their business, um, who are looking to find some of those, you know, solid footings, um, and, and for you guys, that pathway was in these strategic partnerships. Um, but what advice would you give for business owners at that point? Okay. So I have three and some of it might be, uh, I might've already said this, but I'm just going to emphasize it because I really believe in it. Okay. You have to lock in on your target market. Like it's one of those things that's painful. It feels painful because nature, our natural tendency is to say, especially early on, we're like, oh, if I, you know, I, I need to take anything I can get. I just have to take anything. It doesn't matter um, if I'm only going to make a couple hundred bucks on it. I need to make money. So I've got to take that in. Right. Mm -hmm. Even to this day, sometimes I'm like, oh, do I need to, you know, branch out here, branch out there. And I have to remind myself, no, Christian, like really stay focused on your niche. It's like, it, again, it's one of those things we know in our head, but like, the heart says like, oh, we should really be doing this for everybody, right? Right. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing is, like you talked about, we got people on the right seats on the bus. So initially that was me running appointments and Rod was, so we were a team of three or four back then, right? Mm -hmm. I was running appointments. Um, Rod was on the calls with me. He would take notes. Um, he would do a lot of the back end stuff. We do a lot of the case planning and prep together. Uh, but what changed over time and really kind of took us to that growth mode was when I left and he did it. And so I basically, he basically took my seat on the bus and it allowed me to kind of take that higher view role. And mm -hmm. for both of us, that's been an incredible fit. He's better than I ever was at that role. And now I can focus on things that help the entire company grow. So those are the first two. And then the last thing, and this maybe is the most important, um, and I could probably go through five others, but I'll just limit it to three. <laughs> we deliver on our promise. Like that is so important. Um, on my podcast, I've been kind of like outlining my experience as I've been working with contractors for the last year with, so I bought a house a year ago. We're doing all sorts of renovations and things. I say that renovations. So we finished the basement. It was a brand new house. We finished the basement and we're finishing the, the backyard. Right. And we were putting okay. a pickleball court back there and doing a bunch of stuff. Nice. Well, okay. So here's my point most people don't deliver on their promise. Like out yeah. of all of the contractors I worked with, probably 80% of them did not deliver in any way, shape or form on what they promised. So can I just tell you, my experience has been that just doing what you say you'll do will absolutely differentiate you in a massive way. Um, I, can I just tell you, if we miss an email or like, like sometimes I talk about how I step back in the business and I do, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard for me because I, I still see a bunch of emails coming in. Here's kind of an example. I see these emails coming in. And if I see something that's like, that I like, hasn't been responded to relatively quickly, I like get antsy and stuff. <laughs> like, it, it's one of those things that it has been a, uh, another one of those really strong focuses for us to make sure that we deliver. And I'm telling you, like, delivering on the promise is an, a relatively easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um but there's probably nothing more important for a business. Yeah. Yeah. Opinion. That's really good advice. That is, that's really good advice um, for any type of business too. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. In, yeah. In any industry. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So 
I'm curious about this and, and you started to talk a little bit about it, but I, I want to dive in a little bit deeper. So uh, you and your wife, Heather, have five children. Five children, two between the two of you. Two of them are mine. Three of them are hers. Um, right. And yes, we just we just like all came together about a year ago into the same house. So it's been right. Fun. Yeah, you guys were married uh, earlier this year. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah. That's thank awesome. you. We yes. had an amazing, amazing wedding on Ma- in Maui, and it was just super fun. So that's awesome. So I'm I'm curious with you know being in this industry, being in this space, I would assume that, you know, your kids probably have a bit more of an awareness maybe of, you know, being smart when it comes to money than, you know, if you were in a different type of professional. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit? And what advice would you give to parents? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just being open and um, talking about it. So I grew up in even even I'm only I'm 39. But I even I grew up in an era where my parents didn't really actively openly talk about money. My dad was a yeah. CPA. He was very money savvy. Hmm. And he talked to like, I actually got a, a merit badge, uh, the personal finance merit badge. And my dad was the counselor for the merit badge. So like he was known for being good with money, but like he wouldn't talk about his money. Right. Oh, so basic mm-hmm. principles I could kind of catch it. Like I remember him, he would say, you know, use a Roth IRA. It just like it had come out um, relatively recent at that time it had been real can't say the word it had recently come out at that time Mm -hmm. and so that was like something that he said make sure you take advantage of this use Roth IRA because taxes are likely to go up well I caught that um, but I never could get into like what his situation was until of course he passed and then my mom was like okay now I've got to figure this out right so I think the best thing that people can do is they can just be really open and authentic about where they're at now I should probably put a caveat. If you're struggling, we don't want to put that on our children, right? Like right. in that situation, sorry, you've got to carry the load yourself as long as you can, but they can still be aware, like kind of understand that, you know, we need to save and we need to do these things. Um, but again, I keep saying it, but the biggest thing is just being completely open, having the conversations regularly. And that gets you into that, just into the mindset. So my kids are very much in the mindset of money. Um, and they want to, and, and they're pretty entrepreneurial too. Like they, well, they want to start podcasts and they want to do YouTube channels and they want, and I, I know a lot of kids are that way, but, um, it is kind of funny that my kids sometimes will do those with the idea that like there's money on the line, right. even though the funny thing is they don't have to worry about money at all. Right. But they yeah. do have this idea in their head, like, Hey, I, I kind of want to go make money. I know dad does that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to me how much of it is nature versus nurture, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that comes into play a lot. That's really cool. Awesome. Well, okay. So I have a thought though. Hillary. Oh, yeah. I have a thought. So if you were to ask Rod this question, you'd probably have gotten a much better answer. Um, I know he does like board games and stuff. Like I think like rich dad, poor dad has like board games and he'll actually play those games with his kids. I don't really do that, but um, those types of things I think are extremely effective. So anyway, follow Rod's example um, and you'll probably be better off. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, no. And and the reason that I brought this up, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day that um, they were talking about, the difference, exactly this, the difference between nature versus nurture and that children who grow up in a household that is more of a high income earning household have a different mindset around money, 
right? For them yeah, no question. going into the adult world and saying like, okay, you're paying 1500 for your first apartment. They're like, okay, that's nothing. You know? Yeah. Can I just tell um, you that felt like that felt like a million dollars to me when I right? when I bought my first house. I was like, I just don't know if this is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I do get that. Yeah, totally. Well, and I just think that it's so interesting that and and I mean, for me in my childhood, I, I grew up. I mean, we didn't struggle, but it wasn't, you know, super yeah. extravagant. Right. Yep. Um, but I just think that it's so interesting and such a true concept that especially now you know, being in, uh, an entrepreneur for a few years and doing pretty well with that, it has absolutely rocked the way that I've looked at money and, oh you know, yes. looked at, at, at how the relationship with money even works. Right. So I think that that's such an interesting thing that, uh, you know, that we have the opportunity to do as parents with, with our kids. Yeah, that's a great point. And now that you say it, I feel like I need to go back and do a little better. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> No, you're good. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. So, um, Christian, this has been a super fun conversation. We're getting close to the top of the hour here. I did want to ask you a few last things. Um, just wrapping up the conversation here, uh, kind of quick fire. I like that style. Just to awesome. Okay. I'll try to, note. I'll try to like take a deep breath and answer yeah. quickly. I can do it. <laughs> you're good. You're good. You can take a moment to think about them. Um, all right. So the first question that I have for you, is what advice have you received at any point in your you know career that you feel has stood out to you the most? Uh, okay, so this is great advice that I got, and I, and and I was in a situation where no, I, I have to start over because I can't <laughs> give the background. The advice is to not make long-term decisions based on short-term needs. It's almost always a bad idea, and you know I've done it a few times, and it's been a bad idea. I haven't done it, and it's just worked out so much better. That's really good advice. And I want to hear the story now because. Okay. Okay. That. So I was, I was young in my career. I was trying to figure out where I was going. I, I moved across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, I say I moved there. I drove across the country with the intention to, to move there. And, um, I called my, my best friend's dad was, uh, the president or he was a vice president of one of the large financial, uh, institutions, beneficial life. Right. So I reached out to, to John and his dad, Mel, who actually are part of my company now. And, and we were talking about the potential of moving across the country to take over this guy's practice in North Carolina. Um, but I had just broken my leg. So I was coming off of a tough situation. I had loaned money to my in-laws. And so like suddenly, I was doing pretty well until I broke my leg. I had given some money to them, then broke my leg. And so I'm, and I couldn't work because this was pre digital work. I, I shouldn't say that. Like at least it was pre me being digital. Right. Yeah. So anyway, long and short of it was like, I, I was talking to Mel. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Like I don't have a lot of money in my bank account. I think it's a great opportunity, but anyway, that was when he gave me that advice and it stuck with me. So don't make really long-term decisions based on short-term needs. I didn't have the money at the time, but it ended up working out and, and going really well. That's awesome. Yeah. Great advice. Awesome. All right. So the next question that I have for you, what are your three top books, podcasts, or audiobooks, whatever your preferred content method is? Okay. So um, three of just anything. I love yeah. The Go-Giver. That book changed the way I thought about things probably 10 or 12 oh. years ago. Bob Berg, he did it. I, there's a co-author, I can't remember, but um, 
they have this, this is actually really funny. I, I got into this book and then I started to like get my team into the book and Rod was kind enough to give me the go-giver award. And it's just like, <laughs> he put like this like little, um, what do you call those? Certificate, that's what I was looking yeah. for. Like gave it to me, this go-giver certificate. I thought it was really cool. But the concept is just that you get, you, you're basically going to get what you give to the world. And, and if you focus on giving first, like, it just works out. And so I really loved that concept. It, it was big. Okay. So that's the first one. Um, the podcast. So this one, honestly, I listened to a gazillion podcasts. So I'm trying to figure out which one. Um, I have been listening to the Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast. I know it's super popular, but um, what I notice is, is that they have lots of people with good ideas and interesting thoughts. And so I, I'll listen to something like that when I'm going mm -hmm. in the morning and it usually gets my idea, you know, my head moving. And then I can come back to you and be like, hey, Hillary, what do you think of this idea or this yeah. idea? And you can be like, oh, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just kidding. That's no. that's not how it goes. Um, but anyway, so so the third thing, the third book I really love is from John Maxwell. It's 17 Laws of Leadership. Hopefully I got the number right. Um, I did a, a like extensive study of that book and a few others in a study group. And it was just amazing. So that's another that's great cool. one. That's really cool. I like that. I actually haven't read that book. I'm going to have to. That wasn't it. very rapid fire, was it, Hillary? I apologize. It was pretty rapid. It was pretty rapid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was good. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So, Christian, this has been such an awesome conversation. It really has. Uh, thank you so much for being willing to share your story and your areas of expertise in this. Um, please tell our listeners how they can connect with you and how they can connect with the Money Insights Group. Perfect. Okay. So I, ha I always, whenever I come on podcasts, I like to have at least an action item. So I'm going to two action items, right? One of them is that we recently did what we, we call the high income money hacks. It's like a, it's like a video um, report, right? And it's going over various hacks that can really help people get to the next level. So go to the website, moneyinsightsgroup.com and get the high income money hacks. While you're there, you might as well take the investor quiz which will give you an idea of what type of investor you are, and then it will create curated content that's specific for that person. So anyway, those are my two action items. Check out the high income money hacks and take the investor quiz. You can find both at moneyinsightsgroup.com. Perfect. Awesome. And then how can our listeners connect with you? Yes. Um, so Christian Allen official on like Instagram and I'm trying to think of TikTok, um, but you can email me too. If you want to talk to me directly, it's Christian at moneyinsights.net. Now that's weird, right? So <laughs> moneyinsights.net and there's a story behind that, but just know that the website's moneyinsightsgroup.com. But currently my, my email is Christian at moneyinsights.net. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for being here. And thank you for such an awesome conversation. Thank you, Hillary. It's been super fun. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Marketing Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, rate our show, and share with your friends on social media. You can also join our community by visiting us online at marketingmastermindpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you on the next episode.